Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 533 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to lately? I went to see Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Capitol Theatre in Sydney. And it was just delightful. I mean, it's just a musical that's full of colour and catchy songs, very catchy songs, earworms. And it's certainly stood the test of time. And as long as you can ignore the fact that they spell colour in Technicolor the American way, which I had to like stop looking at, it's awesome. The last time I saw Joseph was when David Dixon played the lead role. Remember David Dixon? He was the lead singer of Indecent Obsession. Anyhow, at the time I had to write a profile on him, so I interviewed him for a newspaper or a magazine, and I could not get that Indecent Obsession song, um, what was it called? Say Goodbye, out of my head for days. And, oh, oh, fun fact, did you know that David Dixon is now a helicopter pilot. I know, right? A helicopter pilot. Anyhow, let's move on to our writing tip this week. This was a question from one of the students, one of our students in our Write Your Novel program with Kathy Tasker. And it's about the use of swear words in your fiction manuscript. Specifically, how much swearing is okay if you want to get your novel published. Now, obviously, this is going to depend a lot on your genre and your audience. I mean, you can't drop a bunch of F-bombs in a very young kid's book, obviously. And even in young adult fiction, you might want to use strong, like really strong, swear words sparingly. Similarly, you probably wouldn't swear too much in a cosy mystery, whereas you can, you know, probably let loose in a gritty underworld crime thriller or something like that. In any event, you still don't swear as much on the page as you might in real life. And why not? Well, I don't know whether you swear a lot in real life, but as people generally do in real life. And why not? Well, as Kathy says, swearing comes across as much stronger on the page than in real life. And so I recommend, this is Kathy talking, I recommend an absolute minimum. Now, another suggestion that Kathy had was to use your own swear words, maybe. For example, in Battlestar Galactica, they use the word frack, F-R-A-K, as a kind of catch-all expletive. This is especially useful if you're creating a fantasy or completely fictional world, but even in a contemporary or realistic novel, characters can make up their own swear words, you know. Why not? Have fun with it. If you're interested in the Write Your Novel program, of course, go to writerscentercomau slash novel writing, where you can access the tutor's wealth of experience in the publishing industry. That's writercentre.com.au slash novel writing. But let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of Girl in a Pink Dress by Kylie Needham to give away to you. Two ambitious artists, one act that changes everything. This week's giveaway is the newly released Girl in a Pink Dress by Kylie Needham, set in rural Australia, as well as the buzzing Sydney art world. Here's the blurb. Can one relationship survive 
two ambitious artists. Frances is an artist in her 40s, living a quiet life in a remote mountain town in New South Wales, far away from the glittering lights and famous personalities of the Sydney art world she once knew. When an invitation arrives from a former lover to attend his exhibition at a state gallery, Francis is plunged back into the past where a single irrevocable act changed the course of her story. Told across two time periods, Francis's story wrestles with themes of power and privilege, womanhood and motherhood, artistic doubt, the male gaze upon the female body and the commodification of art. It looks at the fraught relationships between artists and their muses, the sacrifices of a life devoted to art and asks if it is ever really possible for two ambitious artists to thrive in one relationship. All right, just go to writerscentercomau slash win for your chance to win Girl in a Pink Dress by Kylie Needham. Entries close on the 17th of April. That's writerscentercomau slash win. And now... Well, I hope you're ready because it is Deliquesque. Isn't that a nice sounding word? It's an even nicer spelling. D-E-L-I-Q-U-E-S-C-E. Deliquesque. I think it's a lovely sounding word and it means to melt away. I love this word and I realize that it's something that I could say every day because I actually light a smelly candle I don't think you meant to say scented candle, every single night because I love the light that it casts and the flickers and I love the scent. So I could say the candle deliquesced as the night wore on. Not sure my cat Rocky would understand me, but you never know. Deliquesque. And that was the word of the week. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I'm talking to Karina May, who is a former magazine journalist turned digital marketer, but is also a talented author. When she's not dreaming up her next rom-com, you'll likely find her rescuing her paperback from the bath or guzzling espresso martinis in the name of research. Her latest book is Duck a l'Orange for Breakfast. Thanks so much for joining us today, Karina. Thank you so much for having me, Val. Like I have to start by saying that this has just been a dream come true. I listened to the podcast in the very early days, so this feels a bit full circle for me. I was getting a bit emotional when I was thinking about like coming on and finally talking to Val. I'm so excited for you. Your book, your novel, Duck a l'Orange for Breakfast. Tell, oh, there's so much I want to talk about because, you know, you've been on this incredible journey um which has resulted in this novel and i'm sure it's it's not going to be the last so first and foremost tell everyone what the novel is about sure yeah so duck l'orange for breakfast and excuse my french pardon my <laughs> french <laughs> i don't actually speak it um so is a contemporary rom-com and it's set between sydney and paris and told uh through 14 delicious French recipes and it follows ad executive Max uh, Mayberry who is an aspiring novelist um, and we meet her at the worst time in her life. She's just broken up with her boyfriend um, and she's gotten some pretty um, serious health news. So she moves in with her best friend Alice who convinces her to sign up to Tinder just as a distraction from the heartbreak and to while away, um, you know, the weeks leading up to the surgery. 
Um, and it's there that she meets her witty, charming Tinder pen pal, Johnny. And together they start cooking through recipes from Max's ex's boyfriend's family, the Laurent family. Um, and they're a really pretentious French family. So it's like a deranged Julia and Julia exercise. She's kind of like reclaiming the narrative by claiming a piece of their family secret history. Um, and yeah, Johnny and Max actually never meet. Um, so this is all done by text. Um, and Max is very much a Carrie Bradshaw sweaters in the stove kind of character. So this is all very new. So yeah, the, the story travels to Paris because it's French food. We have to do that. Um, while Max, you know, starts to learn to trust herself and kind of go after the life that she wants. So, uh, it's a very feel good, tender, fun story. Um, I like to say. Now, I want to um, plunge straight into uh, what you drew on for um, uh, when you were thinking of the premise for this book. Sure, yeah. It was kind of actually two ideas that merged together that that made the book. But firstly, um, Max actually is diagnosed with a brain tumour in the book and undergoes um, a brain surgery, and that is something that I have personal experience uh, with myself. So, I had some surgeries, brain surgeries in 2019 and 20. Um, so obviously, you know, there's a tiny slice of my life that colours um, this narrative and this story. Um, so, yeah, what I really felt when I was going through that was um, I was already writing and already had done, you know, a number of courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. Um, but I think it really helped sharpen my clarity and purpose um, and made me realise um, that this was something that I really wanted. So I became, you know, a bit fearful and obsessed that when I woke up from the surgery, uh, my brain might work differently and I might not be able to run that ride anymore. So um, I really wanted to explore that in this story and, uh, you know, fear facing and, um, yeah, maybe uh, finding purpose uh, through experiencing um you know, those those moments, those scary moments. Um, and then the fun element, um, I actually had a flatmate um, and we found her sister's ex-boyfriend's family recipe book and we started to cook through it kind of to avenge her. She had no idea we were doing this um, and we found it so hilarious um, to cook through these family recipes that the family had no idea we had when she found out about it she didn't she wasn't as amused but I just always loved um that idea and I just thought the fork him project which is the name of the challenge in the book um was just a really cute idea of um yeah so I merged those two ideas together and Duck Orange happened so was the intention from the start always to write like a rom-com or had you tried other genres before that no, I think my natural style lends to rom-com. Um, so, yeah, I was a magazine journalist, so I did a lot of longer-form content, but it was always, you know, non-fiction. So it wasn't until I had a bit of a career change and moved into digital marketing that I had capacity um, to think about writing again. And it was creative writing that I discovered via, like, little vignettes and stories. I've always been a storyteller and love humour in my stories, whether that's self-deprecating about myself or, you know, an exaggeration of a tale that I've heard during the day. Um, so I think it just naturally um, comes to me in that way. I just love to entertain and find the humour. Obviously, there's a lot of serious themes in Duck, which is what I fondly call it. Um, but, yeah, I think exploring those themes um, in a bit of a fun way, um, yeah, in a lighter touch. Um, so you're still getting the message across, um, but, you know, it's highly digestible at a fun read. 
And so you, after your brain surgeries, um, was it after that you decided I'm going to try this novel or was were, when you were going through it, was the novel already brewing? Uh, it was kind of during. So I think um, the first thing, so there's a scene in Dark uh, where Max wakes up in ICU and asks for headphones to listen to an audiobook. And that is actually something that I did. I thought, you know, I can't write, uh, that this is the first thing that I can do just to kind of listen to a story and think if, if I'm still catching, you know, little plot twists and um, that it must be working okay. So um, I listened to an audiobook in ICU. Um, and then, look, I was, you know, <laughs> out on a lot of drugs. <laughs> but I started just to write some notes on my phone in ICU about how I was feeling <laughs> in that moment. Um, it, it, it's actually funny because I've got the notes now and they just, they don't make sense. But at the time, <laughs> they really consoled me in the fact like, oh, wow, you've still got it. So <laughs> um, I think from there, I tried to write this book straight away. Um, and, it, you know, that writing from um, scars rather than wounds, I think it was too fresh. So I actually started work on another manuscript and, and let the idea of this really ferment, which was good news because I ended up having to have a second surgery when I went into that second surgery, um, I was definitely knowing that I was wanting to write this book. So I thought, whoever gets to go out on the field twice. <laughs> so the next time I did it, I was definitely really taking note of, yeah, the characters at the hospital and all that sort of thing. So I, I really entertained myself by knowing that I was, you know, basically just doing research for my book. So thank you for allowing me back into the ICU to get the notes that I need. So that's kind of how it came about. Now, it's a bit chicken and egg. Which came first, the discovery of the the, the, the family recipe books and you thought, oh, I can, I can incorporate this into a novel or was it the idea of, um, you know, this relationship or was it the brain part? <laughs> no, it was definitely the, the medical style. And then as I started writing, um, I was trying to think of something for Max to while away that time. And I thought, oh, wow, she can learn a new skill. And then I thought, hmm, maybe she can cook. And so, yeah, then that 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 old, um, you know, this was years ago that that fork him, we did that when I had a flatmate and had all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, just naturally started to weave its way in. And I thought, wow, those two ideas really go well together. Mm. Um and I think the other part that I love about the book and was so fun to write was that the cookbook drop is done at an Ikea. Um, so uh, where Max drops the cookbook or drops the recipe and, and Johnny collects it at a different time. Um, and Max calls Ikea like her mothership. It's where she goes um, to zen out, um, you know, when she's stressed out. I know lots of people have the opposite <laughs> feeling about Ikea. <laughs> I personally love it. Um, so that came about actually during lockdown. Um, yeah, I think when I had gone to the Homebush Centre to get my vaccination, I thought, oh, this I'm out, got to get out of jail free card. So I went to Ikea and kind of walked around and I thought, oh, this would be actually a really fun spot for them to do the, the cookbook exchange. So that's how I layered that in. And so suddenly we have, yeah, 
a brain tumor, a forking project, and IKEA, and it just combined. <laughs> I, I love how the book is so relatable because it's not only very um, contemporary; it's very Australian, and not only very Australian, but for me, who's someone who lives in Sydney, so many things. You know that the the busy road in crow's nest, the this the, the IKEA, you know all that kind of stuff. How important was it for you to incorporate real life? things and places and and stuff like that yeah I mean like isn't the write what you know but I know you know I'd like to know more so I can write different <laughs> things so I think basing in Sydney I've lived in Sydney my whole life so it comes very naturally to me I know it very well so then I think I can you know do a better job of that observational day-to-day um but the story does travel to Paris um and working as a digital marketer, I work freelance. So before, you know, the world kind of changed, I would do a lot of digital nomading. So I would, you know, work um, overseas. Uh, so that gave me a lot of experience of place overseas. So I think the wanderlust element is something that I always bring into my writing. And I chose Paris because I had been there in 2019, just kind of before the world all closed down. So um, it was really romantic. Paris anyway is romanticised. But I think particularly for me, um, it had kind of been one of the last places I went. So I naturally wanted to go back there and revisit that um, when I was in lockdown writing this book. So you, with the um, recipes, you had actually cooked the recipes in, with your with your flatmate. Um, no, that was actually a different. Yeah, so th- that wasn't French. That was. Um, oh no, that, no, I mean yeah. you, you, you had experience oh, in yes. cooking. You yeah. know, going yeah. through a similar yeah. process. Yeah. With um the the exchanges that Max has with Johnny, they are through chat on Tinder. And it's what did you have to think about or do to make sure? Because when you chat on Tinder, it's a different nuance than, you know, chatting like normally, right? So, what did you have to think of or do or make sure that you did to ensure that that was authentic? Uh, I'm single. So, I'm on the apps, unfortunately. So, (laughs) I, yeah, I think that comes quite naturally to me. I mean, as a writer as well, sometimes, you know, when the other end actually isn't really serving it back, I just entertain myself (laughs) by bantering away. So, uh, I think I have, I had an idea of who the perfect person would be at the end um, (laughs) of Tinder or on a dating app. So, um, yeah, I just tapped into that having a lot of experience on the app. So, um, yeah, know a bit of the nuance around the dating world, unfortunately. So it sounds like you got the premise and the key elements fairly, um, well, easily or early on anyway. When did you know what was going to happen? Um, yeah, it's so funny because talking about plotting and pantsing, I think I'm maybe a hybrid. So Firstly, I always need to start with the title for me because I like to say I'm a structured creative. I work within a framework, so I, I need the heading before I can just kind of go. The heading being the title of the book? Yeah, the title. Yeah, the title. I Before I even started writing, I might have written, you know, a couple of sentences, but I just was like, what what's the title? And the duck, I won't give it away, is pivotal in the book, so then that helped then work out the narrative, I guess. So I knew vaguely what the structure was, um, but then I allow myself to pants a little bit and for things to change. Um, A subplot with, you know, Alice, her best friend, I kind of didn't know what was going to be happening there. Um, But I had a vague idea of the story um, before I started, you know, writing. Um, 
And I always like to kind of know where I'm heading because that motivates me to keep going, I think. Whereas I know so, everyone's different. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never heard that before that you need the title. So yeah. that is, that's so interesting. Yeah. T- talk me through the time frame of when you started writing the first draft and how long it took and then what happened after that. Yeah, so I think so I had the the seed of the idea in 2019 and then I probably started writing properly at the end of 2020. Um, and so, yeah, then I was dab- dabbing it out um, with other manuscripts and then I would say um, maybe it was probably like an eight-month process. So I had it finished uh, April in 2022, so last year. Yeah, so it was actually probably the fastest I've written something and I think because I was drawing on so much personal experience, um, it, it was flooding <laughs> out, out of the, which is not always the case. So tell me about your break. What happened then? How did you get the book deal, um, you know, in the end? Sure. And I love these stories because these this is always what motivated me when I was aspiring and I've turned into a bit of a woo-woo, like, trust me, it can happen because it did happen. It's hard for me to unknow now that it can happen. Um, but it was actually Slash Files, so open submission at Pam McMillan Manuscript Monday. So I'd heard a lot about you know, you'd not really uh, have a high strike rate in the slush pile. So I had previously done live pitching events at um, ASA and and they were all great and, you know, did get me so far. Um, but, yeah, I basically submitted in the December. Um, I had just a spreadsheet and I went through a whole bunch of the big traditional publishers. Um, and then I had an email from a publisher in the February, so I think a couple of months later, and straight up I thought it was a hoax. So I, <laughs> I actually got a. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just it was just too, you, you know. I just you know when you're going about your day to day, and then it just pops up and like, oh, I'm interested. So I got a very established author to actually check that that was a real person, which I cringe a little bit now, but I just, <laughs> I just I had to like check is this a real person. Um, So, um, but they were actually inquiring about um, a separate manuscript um, that I had just signed for a a digital publication. So I had a moment of panic of like, oh no, I've just signed this and this is my big break. Um, But luckily I had continued writing. So um, I know we'll probably get to tips because I listen to this podcast all the time, but (laughs) I had just kept writing because people had said like, just keep things in your drawer. You never know. So I pulled a manuscript out of the drawer, not actually dark um, and submitted it. And then they came back and asked me if I wanted to meet for a coffee. And from there I got taken to acquisition. So um, at that point, when we met, I said, I've actually got a different manuscript. Um, and that was the one that they actually ended up acquiring. Um, and the initial manuscript um, will be published in December. Um, but that one needs a little bit more structural work. So it's funny that, you know, e- everything that I had learned and put into practice, you know, this manuscript was in really good shape when I submitted it. That's awesome. So obviously it wasn't the digital one and it wasn't the next one that you gave to them. Yeah, it, was it was the one after that. So fantastic yeah. that you did have that in your drawer. Yeah. I think, um, again, I just, I kept writing because I thought I, I love doing it anyway. Um, Rachel Johns um, has a try quitting and if you can't, then you're a writer. So I had tried quitting a bunch of times. Uh, but yeah, I just kept writing. And then I guess when that luck moment happened, I had the work to back it up and to say, actually, here are all the things I've done. So 
um, yeah, I've got nothing I love now, that. though. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So you've done many courses at the Australian Writers' <laughs> Centre. Um, let's talk about um, uh, Write Your Novel because you did the Write Your Novel program. What did you get out of that program? Yeah, I mean, I did that program twice. <laughs> That's how much I loved it. So my tutor was Pamela Freeman. Um, and I think in the beginning, I actually just didn't even know how to structure a book. I thought because I was a writer, I just writing a book would come naturally to me. Um, so I yeah, not only learned, you know, how to structure a book and point of view and all of the things, you know, I met some amazing people that I'm still friends with now that, you know, accountability buddies and cheerleaders. Um, and then I think also learning about the publishing industry. So I think I've gone into this process um, with maybe a better idea of kind of how it works thanks to those courses. So, so many practical things, community, and then also just some needs to know of just how this world works because it's very different. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things that um, is done in that course is a lot of workshopping. That is where you workshop other writers work and they workshop your work and for people who don't know workshopping is basically where you read and critique and encourage of course but also provide um, feedback on the work um, uh, where they've done well and also bits where might have been a bit unclear so that the author gets that feedback what was your experience like workshopping I love that. I love that so much. And I actually developed that skill now. So, uh, you know, I think that's reading other people's work is always going to be a part of the process. Like I have a pretty, I know my process now. And once I finish a first draft, I send it to some trusted beta readers. Um, and of course, you know, it's, it's a <laughs> give and take situation. So I read their work and learning how to deliver constructive feedback in a really kind way um, is such an important skill. Uh, and I've realized now that that's something that I've developed. Um, that's just so crucial moving forward and to receive that feedback from other people as well. Um, I think there's a difference between crowdsourcing feedback and just not doing anything with it and getting some trusted peers where you respect their work or what they're doing. Um, and then looking for patterns in that feedback. I think it's so valuable than just having, you know, just the one person looking at it and the one editor. So I'll continue to go through that process moving forward, even with a publisher, that I'll always, you know, do that group, um, yeah, beta reading. So I, lo I love that aspect of the course and I think it's what sets it apart as well, maybe for, from some other writing courses too. Mm -hmm. so what, um, uh, what's the plan now? <laughs> how do you are you are you writing your next novel and what's the plan in terms of you have a day job in terms of fitting your author career now because I have no doubt this is you know it's going to just go up and up and up what's the plan of fitting it into the rest of your life yeah I mean well the dream is to become a career author but I think you know there's steps to that so uh, I actually have my second book coming out in December so um, I'll have two published books this year. So that's a bit of a baptism by fire, I think, <laughs> craziness. So that's about to go into structural edits. Um, and so at the same time, I'm trying to fit in while I'm learning, you know, this new world of, of publishing, um, writing my next book as well. So I'm hoping that I kind of have that ready more towards the end of the year. So, um, yeah, I can continue just, um, yeah, putting work out there um, that I enjoy. Is the is the book coming out in December in the same vein? 
Yeah, it's also a romantic comedy. Um, so, yeah, and protagonist is a bit younger. So Max is 30s and then uh, my protagonist is in her 20s and in my December book. Um, but, yeah, I, I work as a digital marketer um, and because I freelance, I actually have some flexibility, which is amazing. So it's been really helpful um, to be able to scale my hours up and down just depending on what's happening with with the writing stuff. Um, obviously, this is something that I've wanted for so long. So the fact that it's happening now, I just want to give it my everything. Um, and I'm realising as well, um, you know, the other kind of unseen things. Um, it's not just the writing. Um, so it's also a huge learning curve right now, which also takes a bit of capacity. So um, I'm kind of working my work around at the moment and it's working so far, so fingers crossed. Why do you think rom-coms are so big right now? Because they are. <laughs> I mean, I think TikTok has a big thing to do with that and Queen Emily Henry. Um, I think as well, just after the last few years, people want some lightness uh, in back in their life. Um, and I think it's also got to do with, um, yeah, TikTok and um, the resurgence of 90s rom-coms, like, all the Nora Ephrons and I think there's a new thing called like rom-com core <laughs> where, um, yeah, the, yeah, the younger kids are dressing, um, yeah, like rom-coms and romanticizing their lives as a whole, the main character energy. So, um, yeah, I, I think TikTok has a lot to an answer for for that. It's great for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And two books in one year is nothing to sneeze at. That's absolutely incredible. So I'm curious to know with your second book because, as you said, you you needed the title of this book before you kind of got really into it, Duck a la Orange for Breakfast, which is such a great title. You know, I've been talking to my friends. I'm reading this book. It's called Blah, 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 and they're immediately intrigued. I haven't even told them what it's about yet, and they're immediately intrigued. So they want to know more. So at what point did you know your the, the title of the book that's coming out next? Uh, straight away, but actually I did try and change it and then I went back to it. So, um, yeah, the book is Never Ever Forever. Um, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I love gonna, that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not going to have a title change. Um, yeah, I think. Um, so we, I know that happens frequently. So, I mean, I would have been fine. I'm, I'm at the point of just tell me how high and I'll jump. That's fine. We'll do it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, so, yeah, that's about a girl that's kind of given up on dating. So it's another kind of dating story. Um, and she moves to the country to try and meet a farmer um, and there's no farmer, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's never, ever, forever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, actually I have writing friends now that come to me to say, like, what's my title? And I just, yeah. it's something that I love doing. I don't know why. I think because so much of this um yeah, the writing is creative and unknown and there is the part of me that is a bit like structured and regimented, which I think you need to have as a writer to kind of get things done. I, yeah, I just love it. I love, I love coming up with titles. I love <laughs> so if anyone, this. If anyone needs any help, just slide into Contact the Contact Karina. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I have no doubt this is going to be the start of the new queen of rom-coms. Um <laughs> let's end with, as you know, your top three writing tips for people who would love to be in your position one day. Sure. And I will say again, this is one of my favourite segments. I've listened to this years and years and years and all the tips. So I know all the tips that are being said and they're probably all being said, but mine are um, to find your process. I think, again, I was maybe, yeah, 
starting to listen so much and take on everyone else's stuff that I was trying to do things the right way, like the dirty first draft. Personally, for me, that doesn't work for me. I can't even journal because if it's not perfect sentences, I get annoyed at myself. So um, I'm definitely someone that likes to, yeah, revisit um, and move on eventually. But I'm just, I don't just get to the end. I like, so whatever works for you. Um, so you can listen to other people's processes and then be curious about your own. But I don't think you should try and fit something that doesn't feel natural and also that the process might change just depending on what's going on in your life um so I think that's a huge thing because I found when I was trying to do somebody else's process it wasn't sticking and then I wasn't as motivated so find your process um and then find your people so I think Australian Writers Centre um yeah as I said I (laughs) met so many great people there um this life you know it's a lot of it solo so I think being able to tap into someone that sees the world in a similar way or has similar ambitions with this creative, crazy life that we're pursuing um, is so useful to stay motivated um, and lean on those people as well. Um, So finding your people. um, And then I think just, what was my other one going to be? Find your process, find your people. I'll just keep going. So obviously that's what happened with me. So um, if you have your people and you have your process, I think it's a lot easier to keep going when maybe, yeah, you're not hearing that from a publisher or, you know, maybe a scene's not working. Um, I think stick with it and eventually you'll get the payoff that you want, whether that is to be published. My initial goal actually wasn't. It was just to finish a book and then I moved the goalposts. <laughs> so, well, whatever it is for you, um, just stick with it. I love it, Karina. You're such an inspiration. Congratulations on Duck a l'Orange for breakfast. Everyone, go get a copy. And I absolutely can't wait to read everything else that you write. Thank you so much for your time today, Karina. Thank you, Val. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, let's move on to my fun fact for you this week. It's very short and sweet. Underground, as in the word underground, is the only word, did you know, in the English language that begins and ends with the letters U-N-D. There you go, underground. Okay, I said it was a fun fact, not a useful one. All right, we've come to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for those of you who have left reviews on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate that too. Feel free to join our Facebook group. The listener community on Facebook is awesome. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. And also feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast. 
or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentercomau news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.